Hey family, this is Joshua Jones. My wife, Lindsay, and I have the honor of being the lead followers of Way Family Church right here in Edmond, Oklahoma. Thank you for taking a minute to tune in. We pray the message gives you a different perspective about Jesus, His gospel, and what living life in His kingdom is all about. Take notes, listen intently, and be blessed. All right, you guys ready for some truth? Okay, hey, what have we, what have we been talking about for the last four or five weeks? One word, what is it? Union. No, we're not trying to get you to join the union. And just in case he's like, they're talking about the union of this church. Uh, talking about something much, much, much better than that. And so let me ask you a question. Um, by show of hands, how many feel like you've learned something? I mean, like you've genuinely learned something over the last four or five weeks. Anybody? By show of hands? Hey, that's great. You know, a lot of people go to church and never learn nothing. You know, you know, you know, you know how obvious that is? Yeah. Go to church. That's <laughs> how obvious that is, right? And so to me, I think we should always be learning and gleaning. And watch this. The greatest teacher we have is repetition. The purpose of church isn't always to learn something new, right? Um, I think if we can learn some stuff, if we can just do what we're learning, apply what we're learning, then I think our lives will be changed tremendously. And so these are not just about hearing something new as much as it is, hey, let's go do what, this, what, what the Bible teaches. Let's do what we believe the Holy Spirit's teaching us through the scriptures. And you won't have to find out if this stuff works or not, if this is true. Oh my gosh, man, it's the truth of all eternity. And so I pray today that um, as we talk a little bit more about union, that um, you'll be impacted deeply from it. So... I want to talk about the word union a little bit. If you brought your, uh, your owner's manuals, I'm going to read several scriptures. Uh, so Kaylee uh, in the back, if you can look up 1 John chapter 4, I'm going to bounce around there for a little bit. And then I think I made some notes here, maybe, maybe kind of, sort of. 1 John 4, and I'm going to read, oh, I know where that was. That was in my Bible app. I'm reading from New King James, by the way, today. 1 John chapter 4. If you go there yourself, Pastor Josh, it might help. And then I'm going to read um, from, uh, I want to say it's 1 Corinthians. I'll figure it out here. All right, 1 John chapter 4. I'm going to read verse 4. And then I'm going to skip down to verse 7. 12. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, 7. And 12. 1 John chapter 4, verses 4, 7, and 12. Thank you, Lord. All right, 1 John 4, verse 4 says this. <clears throat> by the way, this is written by John, um, the disciple John, which would have been Jesus' youngest disciple, who lived longer than all the other disciples, uh, who also wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and he also wrote the Book of Revelation. This is that John. Um, he's known as the beloved disciple. He's the disciple that, watch this, he laid his head on the bosom of Christ. He got to hear the heartbeat of Jesus. Yeah? And so the reason he had all the revelation, I mean, he literally wrote the Book of Revelation, is because, watch this, he was the intimate one. You catching it? You following with me? He was the intimate one. And so John wrote and just had amazing writings. When he wrote the Gospel of John, these other guys start out with genealogies, but not John. John starts writing about stuff that before the earth began. He says, in the beginning, God. What? Yeah, I mean, this is John. John's absolutely brilliant. But this is what he says. This is what he says. Verse 4 of 1 John chapter 4. He says, you are of God. Say, I'm of God. Come on, say it like you believe it. Say, I'm of God. Come on, put some stink on it. Say, I'm of God. You are of God. Watch this, little children. And have overcome them because, watch this. This is the, this is the refrigerator verse we all know. Because, watch this. He who is what? Is greater than he who's in the world. Well, who's in the world? Satan, devil, antichrist, right? Some of us were taught that that was a, like a one-person figure who's going to arise one day on the scene. We thought it was Gorbachev, you know? 
You, 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 wait, you pick your person that history said. By the way, every time somebody said that in history, they've always been wrong. And as they keep saying it, they still keep being wrong because he goes on to say this, that the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard, was coming. He says in verse 3, guess what? He says, it's already now in the world. <laughs> but you are of God, little children, and you have overcome them. Antichrist, anti-against. Christ means the anointing. Spirit mindsets that are against the anointing. <gasps> oh, wow. That was good. That was a little bit simple, right? Why? Because he who is in you. Somebody say, he's in me. Watch this. It's not a who that's in uh, or what that's in you. It's a who. It's a being. It's a person. He, that's capital H, by the way. He who is in you is greater than the lowercase he who's operating in the world. Wow. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is what? Of God. Watch this. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. I absolutely love that. Verse 12. I love to read the whole thing, but it's just, it'd be a bit much for where I want to take this today. No one has seen God at any time. That is a huge statement. Well, who did Moses see on the mountain? Who did Ezekiel see when he got caught up? What he's saying is nobody has seen Yahweh in his fullness at any time. But yet the same guy wrote in John chapter 1 that Jesus, who is in the bosom of the Father, who has seen the Father, he has declared him to us, right? So no one has seen God at any time. But if we love one another, God what? abides in us and his love has been perfected in us let's keep going to verse 13 right there Kayla if you don't mind by this we know that we abide in him and he what in us how please tell me because he has given us good church attendance Because I got a fish tattoo. Because I did outreach. Because I spoke in tongues. Because I went on a mission trip. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. Because I read the Bible. Because I prayed and fasted. No, 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 no. Because he has given us of his spirit of his spirit we've been talking about the word union man i feel water on my legs right now we've been talking about the word union union simply means one let me overlap we're cutting grass right every time you cut you cut grass you always slightly overlap right you and i do not have a personal relationship with jesus that is a good place to start but a poor place to finish you do not have a, just a personal relationship with Jesus. You can do what you want to in a personal relationship with the other person, and it will not affect you necessarily, but you cannot do that in union. That's why marriage is important. Marriage is not a personal relationship. Marriage, according to Yahweh in Genesis, is two becoming what? One. That's why when people get married, some people are afraid to get married. They just want to have a personal relationship for forever because marriage requires covenant and covenant is commitment. Come on now. I said because marriage requires covenant and covenant is commitment. Well, it's just a piece of paper. If it's a piece of paper, sign it, bad boy. It becomes more than a piece of paper, doesn't it? Yeah, because union is you becoming one. And that's why divorce, that's why God said through Malachi, I hate divorce. Why? Because once you become union, it's not like, well, now we're divorced. You go your way and I'll go mine. It doesn't work that way. Because you're not just, if it was a personal relationship, it is one person here, one person here. We choose to go our separate ways. But when you're union, you're one. 
So this thing of union, let me keep down the divorce path right here because if I, if I had a piece of paper, one piece of paper, if I cut it with scissors, that's not, that's not the picture of divorce that Scripture gives because that's a pretty cut. But the picture that the Scripture gives is I take that paper and I tear it. It's a nasty tear. You do not have a personal relationship with Jesus. You and I have oneness with him. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, you want a refrigerator verse? Let me give you one. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. If I could pick this table up and throw it, I would because that is good stuff. One spirit? One spirit with God. John 14, Jesus says, I'm in you, you're in me, we're in the Father. Please explain that to me. Just, you know, I'm about to go orangutan on somebody like that. That's good stuff, right? The Bible is amazing. The Bible is amazing. He would go on to say in John 14, he says, me and my Father, watch it now. Watch it now. Me and my father are going to come and we're going to make our house in you. That's why I want to go, what? You're going to do what? You're going to make a house in me? Yeah, I'm going to make a house in you. I'm going to make a house in you. So here's some things we talked about because I'm getting way ahead of myself. Today I'm going to talk about the beauty of God living in us through union. Here's what we've talked about thus far. Now last week we tipped over some, well we, for four or five weeks, we tipped over some sacred cows, right? And there was one person in the room last week that said they had actually gone cow tipping and it was a pregnant lady and that's scary right there. <laughs> I ain't going to call, call no names, Kaylee, but you know who she is, right, red hair? So she said she had gone cow tipping before. And, and I said, what we do when the Holy Spirit comes to tip over our cows is that we not only don't want the cow to be tipped over, we make braces so the cow won't fall. What are the cows? It is our mindset. It is our way of thinking that, that we've gotten through years of being raised, where we were raised, who we were raised by, the schools we went to, the news station we watched, the type of denominations that we went to. All of that goes into play. And guess what? We all have them. We all have them. Here's one cow that we've seen the Holy Spirit tip over. You never, ever have to try to get close to God again. Because what can you do to actually get close to God? Up under the law, you dotted every I, you crossed every T, you kept those 613 commandments you did in order that you might become. Listen, you did in hopes that you might become. Right? What can, what can you do to actually get close to God? Can you read the Bible more? Well, if you read the Bible five more hours and that'll get you close, then bless God, what'll happen if you read it for 10? And if 10 will get you close, what'll happen if you read it for 20? And if, and if praying six hours helps, what'll happen if you pray for 15, Tiffany? And if 15 helps, what'll happen if you pray for 35? And can you see the religious hamster wheel that starts? And before long, you don't, and most of us, we won't, don't, don't raise your hand now, don't raise your hand. But most of us came up in spiritual houses like this. Some of us even came up in houses where we said things like, you're here to serve the man of God. There ain't nobody here, you're here to serve me. You got one person that you really serve. Well, if I serve the man of God or woman of God, then I'm going to get close to God. That's actually called favoritism. And anyway, it's quiet up in this quiet church today in Jesus' name. Some of us have been confused, abused, and misused in church all in the name of spirituality. Because you're trying to get close. Giving your last. Not you ain't got money to pay your bill, but you, you serve in the church, though. Mentally, emotionally drained. Fighting off anxiety and depression. But you're still giving, right? Come on. This is a reality. I'm trying to get close to God. What are you going to do to get close to God? You can do nothing to get close to God. Because getting close to God was solved 2,021 years ago by Yeshua of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth got us close to God by way of his blood. Even in the old covenant, the only way they got close to God is through the blood of an animal. Once a year, they would go behind uh, uh, the Holy of Holies, this thick veil that historians say it was so thick that it would have taken 12 yokes of oxen pulling in different directions to tear it. 
and they would go behind that veil one time a year, take the blood of an animal, sprinkle it all on that Ark of the Covenant seven times, hoping not to drop dead, literally. And that man that did that had a rope around his ankle and he had bells on the bottom of his vesture that he wore and they knew if the bells ever quit ringing he dropped dead and they would take the rope and pull him out that's how they got close to God Jesus now comes and says let me bring peace to all of your religious activity it is not your prayers or your fasting or even your scripture reading or your chanting or your meditation or you you know flagellating yourself the way the old school monks used to do do you understand that every faith on the planet has things that they do to that they believe get them close to God And every faith on the planet is trying to climb a mountain to get close to God. But the one thing that is different about our faith than any other faith on the planet is God said, you cannot get close to me your way. Instead, I'm going to bridge the chasm between heaven and earth. And I'm not just going to come close to you. I'm going to come down and get inside of you. Right? I'm not just going to be somebody you call God. I'm going to be your father. Hmm. It's what the Hebrews would call pater, father. It means source. I'm going to source you out of me. Right? Our God says, I don't just want to be called your God. He actually says, through my son, I want to be called your groom and you be called my bride because I'm striking covenant with you, friend. And the gospel is beautiful. So you can't get closer to God. Jesus got you close to God. Now, how much rest is that? I'm close. I mean, how much closer can you get than this? Paul used it 164 times in Christ. How much closer can I get to Stephen if I'm than in him? And then he would say this, Christ in you. We also talked about you no longer have to strive in your walk with God anymore. See, this is so much freedom, but it offends religiousness. It might, even my own religiousness, it offends that. I don't have to try to strive. No, striving's over. What can you do better for yourself than what Jesus has done for you? We actually call it the finished work, not the to-be-continued work. Right? There, there, there is no sequel to what Jesus did. So you can't get closer to God. You, you can only be awakened to how close you are through the sun. Come on. You don't have to strive in your walk with God. And we also talked about this. You no longer have to die to yourself. Oh, my Lord. If I hear one more person, take that scripture out of context. Just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean it means what you just read. If you take a text out of context, you're left with a con. What is a con? It is a lie. And the reason, ooh, the reason, I'm being nice. I'm being, the reason people take the scripture and make it say what they want is scripture can always be manipulated, but notice you can never manipulate Jesus. Here's what that, here's what that means. That's why I made a post this week. I got 375,000 inboxes. Can you tell me what you meant from that, pastor? All scripture has to bow its knee to Jesus because scripture isn't the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. Listen. Listen, so I can take a scripture that says, well, how many of you guys believe the whole Bible? You don't need to believe the whole Bible. Now, somebody in this room is lying because you have never plucked out your eye when you, lit something, when, you saw, when you looked at a lady or a man and lusted. But I believe the whole Bible, Pastor. It's all good. Come on, do you, do you really believe the whole Bible? Because when's the last? I ain't seen nobody walking around here with a nub. I read in the Bible, Pastor Josh, and y'all... Jesus said, just cut it off. Never happened. But let me, let me show you what happens here in the West a lot. Is we take the scriptures and we pull them out of their context. You understand? The Bible was written for us, but not to us. And we take it in America and we read through Western lenses and we make it mean stuff that if it did not mean it to the people that it was written to, it is illegal to, for you to say, well, it means this to me. <laughs> Jesus is the word of God. So what do you take a scripture like? Well, pluck out your eye. Well, cut off your hand. 
What do you have to do? You have to take that scripture and you have to push it through the filter of Jesus and say, now, in light of Jesus, what does that verse mean? Come on. We're learning now. I'm telling you, this helps me. You can't get closer to God. You no longer have to die to yourself because watch this. Jesus has died not just for us. He died as us. And if you can die a better death than him, then the father's going to have to apologize to the son. But he died a really good death. Like he died a really good death. Man, it's 1153. I only got three more hours. Man, help me, Lord, to finish in time. How many of you guys will give me five more minutes? Come on, five more minutes. Five more minutes. Show of hands. Five, 10, 15, 20, 25, 34. We good. We doing all right. Derek, you give me 10? You give me 10, I'm doing all right. Matt, I didn't see your hand. Russ, <laughs> you are supposed to help me. So just a few things as we talk about union, becoming one. What are the ramifications of just becoming one with God? Well, one of the beautiful things that... <laughs> The fact that, that, that we don't stand in awe of this right here is beyond me. It's beyond me. And it's this. God lives in you, in me. In 2017, I, I took a piece of paper, and I just, I just was at a, a, a place in my own life. I'm like, God, I, I really need some help here. And I wrote down things. I said, I'm going to write down things, Lord, that I believe to be true. But if, I, if there's no evidence of that thing in my life, like I'm canning it because I'm putting it in the garbage because I want truth from you. I want my faith to not just be something I do on Sunday. You know, most people, we do this stuff on Sunday. We don't do this on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. It's, it's insane. We do stuff in here that we never do any other time of the week. I say this, if I only love on my wife in public, but I never do that in private, she would say, you're a hypocrite. Matter of fact, if I tried to do it in public and I never did it in private, she said, no, no, don't do that in front of people because you don't do that when it's just me and you. Do you know how many people do this on Sunday? And the rest of the week, Abba's going, and they're going, oh, yeah, I got to go to work. Oh, yeah, I got, I got, I got Netflix. Or yeah, just whatever. I'm just simply saying... If we are doing stuff in here, hearing stuff in here, learning stuff in here, that it don't work in Home Depot, you probably shouldn't be learning it. This stuff works if you're cutting grass. Right? This works if you're changing dirty diapers. This is truth. And there is no secular and sacred line in the kingdom of God. Some of y'all are like, boy, we should have picked the other church to go to today. <laughs> God lives in us by way of union. One of the major differences between the old covenant and the new covenant is that in the new covenant, God said, I'm going to make you my temple. I like the way Paul says it. He doesn't live or dwell or abide in temples made by the hands of a man. And no matter how hard humanity tries, we haven't been able to really make a human yet. Not the way that we want to. And we keep trying. But God says, I don't, I don't live in temples made by hands. Matter, matter of fact, scripturally, God never lived in a house he didn't design. Say that again. Okay. I said, scripturally... God never lived in a house he didn't give the design to. Yeah. Solomon said in Chronicles, he says, the heavens of the heavens of the heavens cannot contain God. And then he looks at the temple he built and he says, how much less than this little house that I built? That's what he says. Yet God said, I don't live in temples made by hands. So what temple do you live in? Well, I want to live in you. In the Old Testament, Genesis 1, what is, the, what is the first thing you see? You see God stepping out of nowhere on the corner of nothing, saying, I think I'm going to do some creating here. And God, out of the essence of his being, started speaking. And Genesis 1, 1 says, in the beginning, Yahweh created the heavens, the invisible realm, and the earth, the visible realm. Yeah, and then it says this, and the earth, not the heavens now, the heavens didn't have any problems, and the earth was without void. It was formless, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. That's a mess. And it says, and God said, he starts talking, and God said, let there be what? And there was what? 
and God started creating things. And what God does is he takes the next six days, five days really, and he creates the earth and everything in it. And notice that, that God didn't create animals before he created land. Because the land animals have to have what to stand on. If he would have done that, that would have been out of order, right? Right? He doesn't create trees or vegetation before he creates land. Everything had an order in it. So he creates light, knowledge light first, right? And then he takes a specific order and begins to create things. And he saved his best creation for last. Ooh. Listen, women, thank you, Father, for my wife. I don't know how y'all women see men, but I'm telling you, we men can be some ugly creatures, but, but, but the Lord knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing. And on the last day, he said, I'm going to make man in what? My own image. And he makes mankind. And when mankind gets here, he didn't have to go build one tree. He didn't have to go build one giraffe. Everything was made for him. That's a good father, isn't it? I said, good father. And so the good father made everything for his son. All he had to simply do was enjoy it. And you see, even then he said, I made this really beautiful garden, which most historians believe was like the size of the Middle East in totality. And it's all for you. And imagine these chairs as being trees. All of these trees here are for your own good. There's just one tree out of the bunch I don't want you to touch. That sounds like grace to me. And then he told him, before you do it, I'm going to tell you, if you touch that one, trouble's going to happen, but you can have all the rest of them. And what is the one tree that can be touched? Okay, thank you, Lord. He ate Popeyes in the whole world. COVID hit and everything went to heaven in a handbasket. All these Chick-fil-A's. See, don't tell him. Chicken Chicken What do you see happen in the garden? Everybody say this. Say union. Adam had unbroken fellowship with his father, so much so that the Bible says that it did. I'm trying to figure out what this means, but it says the voice of the Lord God came walking with Adam in the cool of the day. Like, how did your voice walk? And don't think one person walking with Adam. You got to think three. It was the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, all walking with Adam in the cool of the day. That was union. That was unbroken fellowship. And then Adam sins and boom. And from that point on, really up until Jesus, God was not dwelling inside of man. You see the Holy Spirit come and you see him go. He would come on a king to rule and then he would live. He would, he would come on a judge like Samson to go fight a mighty battle and then, and then he would live. He would come on David when he fought Goliath and, and then he would live. And the Holy Spirit was coming and going, coming and going. But even prophets saw a day coming where the Spirit of God would once again live inside of man, but they didn't know what that necessarily looked like or when it would actually happen. But then comes Jesus. And Jesus made an audacious statement after three and a half years of ministry to his disciples. He said, you guys go tarry in Jerusalem. And I'm going to send the promise of my father to you. What promise is that? It's the promise of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was actually baptized, the Son of God, in the Jordan, came up out of the river, and something happens in the New Testament that really happens for the first time. It was actually kind of scary in my opinion, but you see the Father in heaven who says what? This is my beloved what? Son, and so I'm well pleased. And that's the first person of the Trinity, which by the way, we make this up like first person, second person, third. They're all God, but this is just for our own understanding. And that's the first person of the Trinity. And then you see the Son, the second person of the Trinity. He's going on the water. He's getting baptized in a sinner's baptism. Had Jesus ever sinned? No. Matter of fact, when he went to John, John said, I I need to be baptized by you. Like, I'm the sinner, not you. But he said, Baptize me, John, because I'm fixing to fulfill all righteousness. And he baptized Jesus, and that's the second person of the Trinity coming up, and that's where it gets really scary. And then the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes like as a dove and sits upon his shoulder. And so you see, for probably since Eden, you see the Trinity on the earth in one place at one time. And one guy said this in my reading. He said that that was a very scary day because he said anywhere the Trinity stays for too long becomes heaven. 
<laughs> and John said that that dove abode on Jesus. He rested on Jesus. As if the lily say he never left. I always picture Jesus for the next three and a half years walking around with that dove on his shoulder, never ever leaving. And Jesus was just Jesus for the first 30 years of his life. That's all they knew about. He was Jesus of Nazareth. But after baptism, they call him now Jesus the Christ. Because Christ means the anointing. Jesus received his anointing at baptism when the Christ rested on his shoulder. And from that day, they called him Jesus Christ. And after he received his anointing for the next three and a half years, Jeremiah, that's when he went from town to town, taking his thumbs and wiping blindness out of people's eyes and, and offering forgiveness to prostitutes and finding lepers and lepers colonies who are missing limbs and just their flesh is literally falling. And he's just speaking words and they're getting new flesh. How did he do that? Because the Holy Spirit was resting on him. And the disciples that followed him were in awe, but he would make statements. Even John the Baptist said, look, I'm baptizing you guys with water to repentance, but that's coming a guy after me. I'm not even worthy to bend down and unlatch his sandals. He is going to immerse you in the Holy Ghost and fire. And when John saw him come, he said, this is the guy. This is the Lamb of God. And watch this. It was a lamb that was baptized. Watch this. Watch this. And when the lamb was baptized, what landed on the shoulder of a lamb? A dove. Doves always land on the shoulders of lambs. Watch it. And this lamb, man, with a dove on his shoulder, went around, being filled with the Holy Spirit, turning cities upside down, Jason. But he made a promise that the same spirit that filled him would fill us. What? Well, show me how this works. I want... I grew up in a church, guys, where, like predominantly where I grew up, where they, they literally said, you're filled with the Holy Spirit if you speak in tongues. How many have ever heard that talk? I mean, like, that's what I, I was taught that almost my whole life. It's crazy. As if the Holy Spirit makes you just bilingual. <laughs> that, it's great. Well, I know people that speak in tongues and still beat their wife. I'm like, well, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, he's bilingual. I don't know if he's filled with God, though. Like, come on, is he filled with God because he speaks in another language? What about this? You're filled with God because you walk in love. What about what John said? You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Why? Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And whoever loves is born of God and knows God. No one has seen God at any time, but if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. What about Romans 5.1, where Paul would go, on to say this in Romans 5 he says God has shed his love abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost I'm taking my spirit pour my spirit all in your heart not for the purpose of you just speaking in another language not for the purpose of you just doing church services better not for the purpose of you just being a better minister I'm pouring my love in your heart so the same way I love people you love people that's proof that God lives inside of you. Man, union is, I don't just speak in tongues, and I do speak in tongues. Right? Sometimes I sing in the Spirit. But I'm telling you, I can love people who don't believe like me, who don't think like me. Their skin color is not like mine. They came out of a different pedigree than me. This is the love of God. Do you know that you and I live in a kingdom where we have no enemies? Tell me who God's enemy is. You can't do it because he didn't have one. We're brother to Muslims. Yeah. Well, the Jehovah Witnesses are. It's got to be the atheists. No, because you and I cannot name a person that Jesus did not die for. God has no enemies. As a matter of fact, he doesn't even have an adversary. God doesn't even have an opponent because nobody can go against him. He says, your adversary, the devil, he's not mine. I, God doesn't even have an opposite. What can you balance the scale with? He's God. 
He has no enemies. He loves everybody. And proof that the love of God or Holy Spirit, who is the love of God, it is in our hearts as we love people who are nothing like us. It takes me nothing to love Stephen. But let me find somebody who has a different political affiliation. As if Jesus is Republican, I'm just saying. As if he really is, or as if he's Democrat, we all know. Or maybe he's liberal. No, he's 10,000 times higher than any of those things. He is kingdom. He is love. God lives in us so that we can love other people. This was not possible prior to union, guys. Let me, let me read this to you. 2 Corinthians 4. Kaylee, put this up. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. This is crazy to me. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. You guys all right? Still glad you came? You're bored? Shout amen. I was a new person. We're going to let them slide right there. Yeah. Watch this. But this is Paul, by the way. Who's this book written to? You know who the Corinthians were? <laughs> this is the, Paul wrote to them about the nine gifts. Of, they were operating in nine gifts of the Spirit. And one of those guys was sleeping with his mother-in-law, highly gifted. It's in the Bible. They got drunk at communion. That was a good day today, bless God. I tell you what, Paul, that was a good sermon. This is Corinth. My wife and I went to Corinth one time on a trip. We did a Steps of Paul's trip. And we went and, listen, it had nothing changed in, in, in 2,000 years there. Very little. They still got the same temples on top of the mountains where they had temple prostitutes. You can always tell if it was invented by a man because it revolves around sex. And the abuse of women almost 100% of the time. Literally 100% of the time. Still had those same temples there. We went there. We went into a convenience store. We walk into a convenience store in Corinth, and on the wall is a poster of multiple men and women naked, but having intercourse. In Corinth, coasters that had the body parts of men and women on them. It was a coaster. It was Corinth. That nothing changed. This is who he's writing to. Listen to what he tells them. With their heathenistic lifestyle, he says, but we have this treasure. By the way, the treasure here is the Holy Spirit. We have this treasure in what vessels? Who's the earthen vessel? Us. Well, if you didn't know it, you made of dirt. I hate to break that to you, but that's what we're made out of. We have this treasure in a dirt vessel. Do you know why God did that? Because God wanted the excellence of the power to be of God and not of us. I want people to look at you and your broken lives and say, you know what? I knew that person. I knew they couldn't do that. There has to be something about them that let them do that. The excellency of this power is not in my charisma. I have a treasure. It's the Holy Spirit, but I'm an earthen vessel. We get caught up on the vessel when we need to get caught up on the treasure. I think the message translation calls it like paper cups. It's not about the vessel. It's about the treasure that the vessel holds. You and I have the treasure of heaven on the inside of us, and that is the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I'm going to make my home in you. He says the love of God is in you. You know what the love of God is? God is love. 1 John 4 is another way of saying God lives inside of you. I'm going to help you love people that are not like you. And if God lives inside of me, then where in the world does he do that at? We've probably all seen this. You ever heard this? Before you and I were awakened to the fact that God, of the goodness of God, just cover this up here. Before you and I were awakened to the fact of God's goodness, this is how we were. Everybody say body. Say soul. Say spirit. Before you and I actually have a born from above experience, we're actually led by this guy right here. That's our number one. That's our soul. What is your soul? Is your mind, your will, your emotions, right? And your soul tells your body what to do. And your body just follows. 
Most of us, well, all of us were soulish-led people prior to Jesus. Adam was a spirit-led person. He was so, he was so spirit-conscious that that brother didn't know he was naked walking around in the garden. How, how aware of the spirit of God you got to be to not, not even know you're naked? Listen, listen, listen. He didn't even know she was naked. I know he was, he was, he was spirit-conscious. Spirit, I'm like, and you messed all that up for the earth? I'm going to talk to you, brother, when I get to heaven. We're going to have a conversation. Then, watch this, he sins. He sins. And then he becomes what? Not spirit-conscious, he becomes self-conscious. He goes, oh, oh, Lord. Had he been naked the whole time? Why did that not bother him? Because he wasn't focused on himself. Focused on Yahweh. Become so conscious. He looks at himself. So, right, let, me, let me go and hide. Watch this. <laughs> so he's led by soul. You know how to tell you, you know how to, one of the best ways to tell if you're soulish led. Let me tell you, you want to know how to really tell if you're soulish led? Go on a fast. I hate fast. Some of y'all way more spiritual than me. You're, like, you're acting like you're Jesus' third cousin. I hate fast. When you're soulish led, body led, you know what? You, your body says, I'm hungry. Your body says, if your body says, I'm hungry, when does it want to eat? Your body says, I'm tired. When does it want to sleep? Your body says, I want a milkshake. When does it want that milkshake? Always wants it now. This is always for now. Your body lives for the now. This is really good. Your soul always lives for the past. Because that's your mind, will, and emotions. You can hear a song from your high school days, and, you, and before you know it, oh, that little jig comes back to you. You can smell the perfume that she used to wear, and it throws you back. Your soul will take you down memory lane really, really fast. But your spirit, it'll take you forward from where you are, forward every time. Adam was so spirit conscious, he had so much union, he didn't recognize other stuff, so to speak, that what was going on. He was spirit conscious. Now, you and I get born again, where does the Holy Spirit live? He takes up residence now on the inside of you. Here's the real struggle. You can have union and be spirit led, but there comes a struggle between, watch this, your soul and your spirit, because soul's like, nah, I've been holding it down here for many, many years. Just say you get born again at 16. That's 16 years you've been under the leadership of this guy, and now you think he's going to give the reins over to this guy? What? And so Paul says this. He says there's a tug of war between your soul and your spirit. The spirit lusteth against the flesh, and the flesh lusteth against the spirit so that your spirit can't do the things that it really desires to do. And your spirit, man, is in here saying, I really want to break out, and I want to do things, but your soul says, no, I got you wrapped up. But the more you awake to your union, and the more you actually get involved in the scripture and, and get involved in what God is doing around you, do you know what ends up happening? See, right now, the spirit man's the smallest man and your soul's bigger. And then your body wears your soul and your soul wears your spirit. But did you know what can actually happen? You can get so caught up in your union that here's what happens right here. Before long, your spirit man is this big and your soul man is really small. In your body. And before long, it used to be that your outer man was putting pressure on your inner man. But when you begin to live out of your union, your spirit man said, no, I come to put pressure on everything else around you. And you be, watch this. That's why those who are led by the spirit of God, Romans 8, 14, are the what? Sons of God. That's how it was in the garden. This is union. How difficult is it for you to be led by your soul? It was easy for me to lust. Bro, it's difficult being a Christian. It's only difficult if you let your soulish man lead you in a walk where you're supposed to be led by the Spirit. I never heard a dog say, man, it's difficult to be a dog, man. My nature's a dog. It's difficult being a dog, man. I tell you what, man. I tell you. you never seen a bird say, I can't fly. I got to go to flying school because I just can't. You never seen a fish say, I got I to go to swimming school. This is difficult stuff, man. Come on, Taylor, just play for me. That's all I need. You and I are sons of God in the deepest part of our being. 
That's why the Bible says praise is calmly for the upright. When you get awakened to who you are, everything changes. You could be a homeless man or woman living up under a bridge trying to hold up signs every day looking for money to buy a cheeseburger and get a bottle of water for most of your life. But what would happen if one day, if you found out that your father was actually the governor of the city? I don't think you'd hold up another sign another day in your life. I think you'd throw the sign down and I think you'd probably go to the governor's mansion. Because I found out something about myself. I found out who my father was. And my father made room for me. I want us to know something here. When you come to the Way Church, it is not just on our walls that we are people who host presence. I do my best to live this way all the time. You might, I might be that weird guy that you, you see the stop sign, you look over and he's singing. That's me. You might find me, I might be the guy in, in, in Walmart that, I, I try not to brand tones out loud anymore, but I'm, I, you, you might catch me, Right? But you live aware of God at all times. Because watch this. I now know God's not somewhere out there and I got to go get him. He's actually here. And this is union. And I want to say this and I'm done. And because of my union with God, I am as righteous as Jesus is. We're going to talk about this maybe next week. Watch this. I can say this now, Matt, and I have any fear, brother. You and I are as holy as Jesus is. If I have a personal relationship with Jesus, that's not true. But in union, (laughs) the strength of the greater becomes the strength of the weaker. I don't feel new. If any man be in Christ, I don't feel new. If I'm a new creation, this has nothing to do with feelings. This has everything to do with faith. This is the gospel. St. Irenaeus said this. Irenaeus, I said Irenaeus. I think I said that right. Irenaeus said this. Where I read that note at? I gotta find it. Gotta find it. He said, Our blessed Lord Jesus Christ became what we are in order to bring us to be what he himself is. He says, I'm becoming what you are in order that you might become what I am myself. How aware was Jesus of his father when he lived? Mm, That's pretty good. That's what you and I inherited. Come on, stand to your feet with me. Everybody say this. Say, God lives in me. Say, I'm God's house. Say this. Say, I'm divine real estate. One more time. Say, I'm divine real estate. Say, I'm a house fit for king say this say I know that in church I'm aware of God but I'm learning that outside of church God is as much with me outside of church as he is inside of church and if I be honest if I'm truthful with myself This building isn't even the church, but I'm the church. I'm God's house. So how do we get church to Home Depot? How do we get church at the mall? Every time, Peter, you go to somebody's house, man, on your job as a plumber, you change pipes. The house of God went in that house. Every time, Tim, man, you go somewhere and you're building cabinets for somebody on your job. The house of God is in that house. The reason the enemy doesn't want you to be awakened of this is because when you get this revelation, now it's not just you laying hands, but you recognize that you are conduit for the God living in you to lay hands. Huh? He doesn't want you to have relationships with people because when you get this revelation, it's not just you having relationships with people. Now they have to interact with the God in you. You understand that? When you get this revelation, it's not just you speaking to mountains, but it's the God in you that speaks to mountains. And those mountains say, I recognize that voice. That's the voice of the one who made me. And they say, where do you want me to go? You want me to jump in the ocean over there? Come on. 
Which, by the way, some good food for thought. You know where the tallest mountains on the planet are? They're in the ocean. You ever wonder how they got there? I think somebody spoke to them. Somebody got a revelation that God lived in them. If you're in this room today, man, and you feel like, you know what, man, that may be true for everybody else, but I don't think that's true for me. I want you to know something. God loves you, and he put his spirit on the inside of you. And like it or not, there's nothing you can do about it. You can choose to live unaware of it, but it's true whether you believe it or not. I just choose to say, you know what, Lord? When I feel it and when I don't, when it seems true and when it doesn't, I still believe you. I still believe you. I still believe you. I want to do this and we're done. If you're in this room today and you don't have a living relationship with Jesus, I want you to know he loves you. He shed blood for you, not just for the forgiveness of your sins, but for the purchasing back of you and I to have union with our loving Father. If that's you today and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, but you love to say, Lord, I want to acknowledge everything you've done for me. I'm just going to count to three. It's our way of doing it here in America just so we can know. But if that's you and you want that to happen for you, I just want you to raise your hand on three. I'd love to lead you into the fullness of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You ready for this? One, two, three. Anybody at all that you don't have that, but you want that. All right, we're good. Lift your hands with me. Father, thank you for your goodness and your kindness to our family. We're grateful for what you're doing in this region. I'm so honored to be a part of your kingdom and really honored to be a part of what you're doing right here at the Way Church. I just bless this family today, and we choose to live in the truth that Holy Spirit lives in us, that we are now your temple in 2021. In Jesus' name. Hey, would you do me a favor? Thank you for taking a moment to listen in to what Jesus is doing right here at Way Family Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. If you want to be a part of helping us to continue to share the gospel and get it out to as many people as we can, you can do that via Cash App at dollar sign Way Family Church, or you can visit our website at wayfamilychurch.com and click on the giving tab. For more information about Way Family Church, you can connect with us on all social media platforms or simply go to wayfamilychurch.com. Be blessed.